First Timothy chapter six in our Bibles today, we're going to look at the subject on what we worship shapes us. And it's first Timothy chapter six, there uh, beginning in verse number six. So what we're going to do is uh, I want to read to you uh, the first section here that goes from verse six all the way to verse 10. And we're simply going to walk through this text. So let's let's go ahead and get to work. Y'all ready? Y'all awake? All right, we're going we're gonna to do serious work this morning, okay? Pull out the John Deere, pull out the backhoe. We're going to dig in deep, okay? Here we go. Verse number 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and the Bible says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Literally, you here have the definite article that says that the love of money could be likened to a seed that every type of freak, every type of perverted desire, every sin, every evil thing can sprout from the the seed of greed. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Wow, what a word picture. Let's go to verse 11. But as for you, so this is us, all right? But as for you, believers, O man of God, so Paul's speaking to Timothy, flee these things, which means run. So if I'm running from something, what do I run to? Notice what the text says. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, I love verse 12. Fight. Amen, church? All right, fight. That means that what we're about to do today is biblically justified. Gloves off, throat shots, knees shots. I mean, everything original UFC is going to look very, very mild compared to this type of warfare. We all on the same page? All right, we're talking about unrestricted warfare. Fight, it says, the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And about which you made the good confession in the process of presence of many witnesses. Here Paul gets really fired up. I charge you, which is like a coach grabbing the face mask of his football player saying, do this. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And here's what it is. Verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. Which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Doesn't say to money, but notice what the text says to him. Be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold, notice here, of that which is truly life. What we're going to examine from these verses is going to be very, very, very countercultural. In fact, this message may create just as many questions as it does answers. Because in our culture, we are taught that the way that you become secure, the way that you become prosperous, is through, quote-unquote, financial security or financial peace. There's a news flash. You can never, ever, 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 ever achieve peace through finances. Let me me, uh, walk through this with you. We've got um, Parade Magazine. It's a fundamentalist Christian publication here. Um, Just kidding. And it's got, it's called What People Earn. This is from a couple years ago. It's got all sorts of people. Uh, For example, we've got... Uh, Roland Davis, 44 years old, auto mechanic, Mason City, Ohio, $25,900 a year. Uh, we've got, um, let's see here, mm, interesting, Lanny Delphin, 60 years old, matchmaker, Amherst, Massachusetts, 15000 a year. Uh, Angelina Jolie, actress, Hollywood, California, $30 million a year. Kobe Bryant, uh, basketball player, Los Angeles Lakers. Any Laker fans? All right, Ben. Okay, give Ben some encouragement. He's the only one. Okay, Matt too. Maybe. Maybe there's another one. All right, uh, Los Angeles, California, uh, fifteen point nine million a year. Then it's got King Kong, lovable monster, Skull Island, seven hundred and fifty nine million dollars a year. Uh, and then it has Harry Reid, obviously far more than he deserves. So, um, what, looking through this magazine, are y'all okay? Can we do that? No. All right, we'll do it again. When you look at this type of setup, you've got people, it's even got Justice John Roberts, U.S. Chief Justice, Washington, D.C., $212,100 a year. Um, it's got a Marine Sergeant, Jimmy Moranta, um, from Bronx, New York, $22,000 uh, a year. All sorts of different jobs, different pay levels. And regardless of where you and I fall within this what people earn, There is a lie of our culture that tells us that it's found somewhere in between financial security, financial peace. Where what we just read, either the Bible's wrong or culture's wrong. Did you guys see how many, not sucker punches, but straight shots he took at the prospect of money brings peace? It does not bring peace. In your notes... Um, we've got actually something that I put in there. If, you, if I ever put a statement in there, it's, I think it's really important and I want us all to grab a hold of it. This is from an article uh, that, that appeared in the Christian Philosophical Society from Clay Jones. He said, quote, Idolatry ends up mugging people with a delusion even in the face of available evidence to the contrary. There has never been a man or a woman in America, in ancient Europe, in Enlightenment Europe, in ancient China, in modern China, in Rocky Mount, in Martinsville, in Salem, who has ever come to the point to where they say, I've got security from my money and I don't need any more. 
You can have a person who's been saved and say, you know what? God has blessed me, but my money is not where I gain my security. My security comes from God alone. So whether I have a hundred thousand in savings or I have zero in savings, my hope is in the Lord. But you will never find a person who says or who is there to say, it's given me, it's solved my problems. You ever heard somebody say, man, if I could only win the lottery, it would solve all my problems. And if you look at the stats, you say, brother, that's when the problems really start. You've got uncles that you never knew you had. People who didn't know you were were your friends showing up, wanting things. You know, I went to a flea market in Greenville, South Carolina, or outside of Greenville, a couple uh, during Thanksgiving week, and I don't know. I've talked about this before. Anybody in here love flea markets? Isn't it great? You can just go look at other people's junk, and then you bring it home, then you sell it at a garage sale. You go back a couple years later, you're like, that, that, that's mine, right? And it just keeps circulating. But we went to a to this to this uh, flea market, and I, I we walked by. They had one of those little kid houses, those plastic things, right, that you buy for your kid and he plays in it until it gets hot outside and then it just has mold that grows all over it until you one day throw it away and somebody else comes and picks it up and puts it in their yard and it grows mold there too. One of those things, and there was this kid, he's probably about five or six years old, this little boy, and he was holding on to this thing. The parents were walking through, but he saw it and he was like, I want that. Parents, you ever been in the store, right? The kid all of a sudden gets an ungodly fascination with some type of gum. And it's just like, I've got, if you don't buy this for me, I will die. You will have killed your child, executed your child. I will die if you don't buy this for me now. I want uh, whatever. As this kid was grabbed a hold of like one of the columns of it, just screaming and crying. And the mom was like, honey, come on. And you know, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to walk by and be like, you can't have it. Right? Because we learned in church a couple of weeks ago, one of the reasons why God gave us kids is because we could aggravate them, right? Amen? But, but I thought about that as I walked away. I said, you know, that's often how we are in regard to possessions. We may not walk up to the car lot and jump on top of the brand new car, and that'd be kind of really awkward to see a grown man hugging a car, crying, saying, I need you. That would be, that's like when you leave the car lot, right? That's like when you quit your job as a car salesman, like, I can't go back there. You know, I've got to go chop down a tree or something like that to regain my manliness. And it's it's just one of those things that, that we become so attached to. Let, let me give you an example. You say, well, that's a kid. Give you an example. Um, and this was, this was mentioned in, in our, our Sunday school class this morning. White Christmas. Or what was it? Uh, Santa? I'm, I'm mind blank. Somebody help me out. Dirty Santa? White elephant. That's it. Dirty Santa, white elephant gift. Okay. Have you ever been to a white elephant party? Is it Dirty Santa here? Okay. Some of you are like, did he? Just? All right. Never. It's where you, where you bring junk. And you put it and you wrap it in boxes and people, right, they open up the box and they're like, oh, wow, a doorknob, right? And, and then there's somebody in there as well that, you, oh, let me, right, we did this two years ago with our youth group in South Carolina and we had a few adults come in. Bad decision. 
Everybody was having fun. We had some of the guys in the group who were not exactly choir boys, you know, they're bringing like road signs, those, those things that you run over on the road where they set them up, you know. Like, where did you guys get this? <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, we've got some sanctification work to do here, you know. And so, so they brought all this stuff, but they had these, these, these ladies, this one lady, uh, maybe in her, in her I don't know, 30s or 40s, and she like wanted this one thing this girl had. She was like, I want that. But I was like, is she, she serious? But she wanted it. Then we had a, had a sweet senior citizen lady that would like every time this one gift would, would get traded, she would be like, boom, taking it from kids. Thank you. Thank you. Sitting down, it, it was almost like one of those awkward things about you've got a group of people, right? We never, we didn't know any of this stuff existed before five minutes ago. We start unwrapping junk and all of a sudden our heart attaches to that thing and we're like, I want that. I need that. Give me that. Like my cousin a couple of weeks ago, right? Remember example? Her pacifier when she was a kid and it was mine. Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter and he says, you know what, guys? In fact, if we were to back up to verse uh, number three, he is contrasting a greedy heart that is drawn to things instead of God with false teachers who use God to get things. He said again, contrasted the biblical heart with those who would use God to get things. Now, let's take a step back. How do we approach God in our relationship? Do we ask God to give Him more of Himself to us? Say, Lord, I want to know You more. I want to love You more. Would You show me great truths, God, when I pick up my Bible? Would You help it just to explode off the page? Or is it using God as a sad kind of cosmic candy machine? Mark Driscoll said this, you're fundamentally selfish. The only question is, to what degree? You know, greed will tell us that he said, greed will say, I'm not really harmful because if you let me control you, I will gain what you need. But reality, what, what greed actually does is it rips away what we have. Greed will tell you, don't look at what God has already blessed you with. Look at what you need. And what did the Apostle Paul say? With verse 8, but we, if we have food and what? And clothing, we will be, help me out, we don't like to say that word, do we? We will be what? Are you serious? Now hold on, let's put the brakes on here for just a second. They were in the first century, there were no cars, the biggest thing that you could, that you could show off on was your horse. All right, maybe we've got some horse fans, equestrian people here today. But I don't know too many people today that are struggling, like laying on their bed at night. Oh God, would you please forgive me of the sin of coveting a horse? Not too often. And sometimes we look back and say, well, man, how would they really, like just being honest, Jeff, I'm looking at the Bible, it's the first century, pre-modern era. What did they even have to covet? What did they even have to be greedy about? There were no uh, cars or boats or, or, or huge houses that most people could build. Or they didn't have gaming systems. They couldn't really go on vacation because most of them worked off the land. And really, uh, what we just read, it almost seems empty and hollow because he's telling them not to covet after things. But there were hardly any things to covet after. 
and we look back on it, do you think it may be that if the world lasts that long, people may look back 100, 200 years, 300 years in the future and say, 2011, that time frame, people were absorbed in buying that. They were absorbed in going to those places. They had problems with covet. There, coveting, there was nothing there to covet. And often we'll say things like, well, you know, we read about greed, but I mean, it's not like greed's really that bad, right? I mean, like greed, like, hey, I'm greedy. Hey, I'm a drug dealer. Not really the same. Let me give you a couple texts in the Bible that equate greed with the worst sins in the book. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. This is, it kind of got awkward. Y'all okay? What the text says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So it's here putting the worst forms of sexual deviancy and covetousness, greed, in the same package. Very interesting. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Bible says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So really, if we could kind of rewind the tape, so to speak, if we look at what greed and covetousness really is, what it is, is it's saying, God, you're not enough, but this thing is. And that is the oldest sin in the book. It is idolatry. And I want to encourage you today as we begin to dig even deeper to reject the lie of the culture that says that if you get more, you'll be more happy or happier for our English-speaking people. Um, remember when I was a kid, they had that, that show with the, the ducks, right? You had Scrooge McDuck and the little ducks that went around and saved people. And Scrooge McDuck had that huge bank, right? Remember what they would do? They would jump off and then actually dive into the money. I hope no kids actually tried that, right? Like pour out their piggy bank on their floor and do a dive and break their neck. But on the show, they, they, on the cartoon, they would jump off and they would swim around in this money, this gold, and they would, they would lay back And it was just kind of like I understood when I was watching that. I'm like, okay, Big Scrooge has got a lot of G's. He can do whatever he wants. Therefore, if I want to do what I want, I've got to to get a lot of bling. I've got to get a lot of coin. I've got to get a lot of money. And in order to do that, what? even when I was a kid, I remember going to my piggy bank and and thinking about that that cartoon and, and, and pouring out the change, and looking at it and holding it. I'm sure if my mom came in, she's like, I have a strange child. But even at that young age, I equated from a cartoon what our culture told us, that if you have a certain amount of money, you're okay. When in fact, and we're, we're going to build on this the next two weeks, but I just want to put a little thought in your mind. In fact, what Jesus says is that if you're rich, it's impossible for you to get to heaven on your own. Remember what Jesus says? It's easier to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're like, well, it may be so. Those greedy rich people. Every single one of you here today, if you came in a car, if you had a friend who brought you in a car, if you have more than the clothes on your back, if you have more than food in your stomach, you are, by biblical standards and by today's standards, rich. Do you know what that means? Is it without the Spirit of God coming in and opening every single one of our eyes, all of us go straight to hell. See, Jeff, on what basis can you make that statement? Because the human heart is so greedy 
And temptation can be so strong. Imagine this. Even before sin came into the world, Adam and Eve had the perfect setup, the first, the perfect vacation setup. Everything was awesome, but they still chose and wanted more. Ladies, no competition. Guys, everything was taken care of. It was perfect, but they still wanted more. So how can we begin to think that we who are born sinners can sit there and resist greed? Because Jesus says greed is so dangerous that it will rip the heart and turn the heart away from God and say, you know what? I don't care about eternity. I have a bank account. I don't care about giving my life to Christ. I've got health insurance. I don't care about going on a mission trip because if I get sick here, I can go get health care at a hospital with doctors and nurses that are very well trained. And that's why Jesus says that outside of the Spirit of God breaking into our heart, we will seek after money and end up doomed and damned. That's what the text says. And the reason why we do that at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church is say things like that is because we love people. Amen, church? Jesus says greed is deadly. Say, well, man, I have a worry problem. No, you don't. You have a faith problem. We looked at last week. Remember the rocking chair? Worry gives you something to do, but you don't get anything done. Biblically, finances are a direct result, a picture, a metaphor of how we view God. He's saying, hold on, Jeff. I thought that I'm supposed to. What what about me? Right? Like, you know, Toby Keith song, I want to talk about me. Often in our lives, we are, it's almost like by the time we're born in American society, we get this little DNA thing put into our mind that says, you've got to do things for you. You ever heard that? You've got to stick up for you. If anybody ever tries to give you problems, you give it to them down the road. You stand up for you and you take care of yourself. Well, the biblical picture is that most people in the Bible didn't have any way of defense and God was their only defense. It's an amazing dichotomy between American culture that says, I am self-sufficient because I am who I am. And as opposed to the Bible, it says, I can do nothing good. I cannot save myself. I cannot achieve financial security outside of God. That's why our our first aspect there is that security comes not from gaining what you don't have, but trusting in who has you. The Bible says there in verse 6, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. To be content here, it speaks of being content with your circumstances. And we are in the Christmas season. By the way, a lot of people try to remove Christ out of Christmas. Have you noticed that? It's no longer Merry Christmas, it's Happy Holidays. I love going to the store with my mom because when people say Happy Holidays, she's like, Merry Christmas, right? Just put that out there. I mean, how can you remove Jesus? I'm just going to, for just a second, how can you remove Jesus from Christmas? It's like trying to remove wet from water. Like Christmas is about Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying like, you know, go tear all the Happy Holiday cards off the shelf and like start, you know, ninja starring Happy or Merry Christmas cards. But I mean, you can't remove Christ from Christmas. But during this time of year, we are told day in and day out. But have y'all, y'all received any advertisements in the mail? Anybody? Okay, a couple. All right. A couple people. Anybody seen any type of uh, holiday sales events? Okay, turn on the TV, right? Guys, you're trying to watch a violent movie and all you see is, 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 is things like that. And so uh, what we have, especially during this time of year, is we have people who are paid big money to try to get us to think that we have sorry lives. And if you only have this, then you'll be happy. 
Self-fulfillment is impossible. Financial fulfillment is impossible. Relational fulfillment is impossible outside of the gospel of Christ. And also, let me just make a point here that the world thinks that we're insane. Uh, About half of the world lives on less than about $2 to $2.50 every day. For them to see us, we're driving in our cars depressed. We lay down on our bed. On our bed. We don't know what to do. We look in and we say, I don't know what to wear. I don't have any clothes. It's a closet full of clothes. We get mad when the food doesn't get ordered to. I'm stressed out. I thought this was supposed to be fast food. And the world looks at us and like, you guys are insane. And you know what? By and large, they're right. But then you take the Spirit of God who comes to people in love and He begins to change their mindset to where they have less dependence upon things and more dependence upon Him. And the culture, thinks that, the culture thinks that you're weirdos. Those of you who are grabbing onto this, they think that you are weird. They're like, why don't you buy this? Why don't you go for this? Why doesn't this excite you? You say, because I serve a king who's better than money. You say, well, Jeff, what am I supposed to pray for? What is contentment? Let me give you a text here. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Congress should pray that. Some people in the government, maybe that might help sometime. Amen, right? I just send a little little uh, card and that's all that it's on the card. Just, Lord, please remove from me far from all falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty. We like to pray that, God, right? God, don't give me poverty, but don't give me riches? I mean, hasn't he ever, God, ever seen Wheel of Fortune? Don't give me riches. What is this guy smoking? Notice the text goes further in verse 8, Proverbs chapter 30. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know what the Bible's saying? Is that there is an incredible, incredible tendency that when we get more than we need, we forget whom? We forget God. Have you ever been going through that time in your life and business is good and family is good and everything is just good? You've got like three L-I-G, life is good stickers on the back of your truck, right? You're just grooving along, listening to the Beach Boys and life is good. Then all that changes and it's L-I-B. Life is bad. And we've placed faith We've placed our happiness. We've rooted everything, sometimes even for men, in in who we are and what we have. And when that is taken away, like every transitory thing will be taken away, we begin to be disillusioned and disappointed. And the culture also says, now hold on, if you make, you want to get more money, because if God gives you more money, guess what you get to do? You get to buy bigger stuff. You've got this car now that you're making payments on, but if you get more money, you get to get a bigger car. If you get more money, you can tear down that house and build a bigger house. Luke chapter 12, the rich fool, you know what he did? God blessed him. Bible said God blessed him. God blesses even lost people. He had a bunch of money. 
saved it all up and put all this, all of this produce, all of this grain in this barn and build a bigger one and build a bigger one, tore that one down, built a bigger one. And God says he was a fool. You know what, what Wall Street would say? He's an absolute success. You know what most of us would say if you had a person who was, had so much money, they didn't know, they were like my bank account. Like when you go to the bank, the bank is like bulging out like it needs to lose weight. The bank is about to explode because I have my account there. We'd be like, I want you to come teach it. I want you to come teach a conference in my church, right? Like, I want to learn from you. But the Bible says because there was not investment in the kingdom of God and because the rich man placed all of his faith in what he had, he was a fool. You know what God says? Tonight your soul is required of you. Guess what? I don't want to be that guy. Amen, church? Once again, we're, we're going to build on this the next couple of weeks. Every single one of us are rich. Let me give you a, a statement by Kenneth Weist, a great New Testament scholar. He says, the possession of godly piety, this goes back to cha- uh, chapter 6, verse 6, which says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Here's what he says. The possession of a godly piety makes a person independent of outward circumstances and self-sufficient, enabling him to maintain a spiritual equilibrium in the midst of both favorable circumstances and those that are adverse. What he's saying is that when we change from the American ideal of placing all of our faith in money and to the pursuit of God and knowing God, that we are immune, we are inoculated against when the bottom falls out. There's a great book um, called You Become What You Worship by G.K. Beale. And he traces through the Old Testament when God told them not to worship idols that he said couldn't speak, couldn't hear. It's very interesting. And he traces this to when Jesus came. And Jesus used phrases like, they can't hear. They have ears, but they don't hear. You know what he's saying is that whatever we worship, we become like it. For example, if your God is your stocks, You're going to be emotionally connected to when the stocks are up, you're up. And when they're down, you're you're down. I mean, take something like um, the American idea, which most of of us in here are probably elevated by basic, above basic level materialism. We're not so much drawn to things, we're drawn to fun. All right? Is fun bad? Some people, yeah. No. What happens very easily is our hearts become inclined towards it. Our hearts become attached to recreation. And what will happen? You you ask yourself this. Where do your thoughts flee to during the day? Where, when you want to go to that happy place, where do your thoughts go? When you you try to gain uh, fulfillment or when you try to relax, what gives you relaxment? If God is not first place, our lives will be either characterized by extreme irritability... Because I'm connected to my money. And my money's always jumping up and down. Crazy stock market, crazy bank accounts. My money, and I'm crazy. But then you also have that when my life is attached to things, things are lifeless and without character. So you have a person who's connected to that. The Bible says that it is an absolute waste of a life. Then it says in verse number, number 7, We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. You ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Right? That's an old one. Never. Notice notice what it says here. It speaks of um, verse number 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into a trap. 
I've been told by certain raccoon, or read, read this, about certain raccoon hunters. What they'll do is they'll set a trap, and they'll set some type of a shiny object or a, 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 a wrapper over the trap. And the raccoon will be attracted to the wrapper, the distraction, and it will carry him right over the trap, and the distraction leads to the trap. And what Satan wants to do in your life is he wants for all of us to be distracted by uh, faith and reliance upon money. You just take an example here. Um, what greed has done in the Bible. Um, remember the, the sin of Achan, right? They went in. They took the city. The Bible, God says, don't take anything from the city. Achan saw something. He says, uh, this is from Joshua chapter 7. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar... 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. His greed led to the death of his family and his friends. The ones who fought the battle that they should have won but died because he didn't do that. Balaam's greed caused the breakup of families. He caused Israel to commit fornication with a people who did not worship God. In fact, King Ahab, a king who had it all, his greed caused him to murder a righteous man named Naboth. Israel's greed caused the worship of God to look like a joke. It says that all of, this is what it says in the Old Testament, that all of your houses look great, but the house of the Lord is in shambles. In fact, this Pharisee's greed even caused them to reject and ridicule Jesus' teachings about money. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. You know what Jesus said right before that? Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The rich man that we talked about who built up the barns, it, his greed caused him to waste his life. Remember the rich young ruler who says, Jesus, I've done all these things. He says, oh, one thing that you have lack of, just sell all that you have and come after me. He didn't do it because he was greedy. It cost him his very own soul. And then think of the ultimate example of Judas. Realize that it was greed that motivated Judas to sell out the very Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. See, now Jeff, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be like that person. Notice, notice what the text says here. When a person falls into the cultural lie of money brings happiness, notice what it says in verse number 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into a snare, into senseless and harmful desires. This means it's not necessary that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The last phrase there, it says they have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. If you could imagine going through the road of life and seeing some cruel dagger and seeing on it the name greed. And instead of seeing Jesus saying, come and follow me, the Bible's saying that what pursuing materialism is like is like picking up a poison dagger of greed and piercing your very own soul. You say, well, man, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, Jesus says that the way that that is changed is in verse 11, but pursue, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It means to run, to flee. You say, well, what should I flee to? It means to throw your whole life into serving Jesus Christ. Amen, church? 
That means that everything that we do to pursue the character and the attributes of God, to say, God, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try to save as much as I can and provide for my family. I'm going to give as much as I can. But the end of the day, money does not bring me satisfaction. Thomas Akempis said this, If you have wealth, do not glory in it, nor in your powerful friends. Garth Brooks, I've got friends in... Low places. All right, some country music. Does he know that I know? All right, okay. Rather, glory in God who gives all things and who, above all, desires to give you Himself. Man, that's the greatest gift of all. And often people say, well, you know, should I give and how much? That's not the issue. The issue is, am I pursuing God? Jesus is so amazing. He's the one who said He'll never leave you or nor He'll never forsake you. In fact, faith is the kryptonite of greed. Remember the old, uh, what was it, the, the Superman movie? You know, the kryptonite and then he gets a cold and all that. Like, how does Superman get a cold? And it is, it is deadly. Faith is deadly to greed. When we grab a hold of who God is. Aaron Schust has a song and says, My hope is in you. And the lyrics are, I meet with you and my soul sings out. As your word throws doubt far away, I sing to you and my heart cries, Holy. Hallelujah, Father, you're near. Next verse. My hope is in you, Lord, all the day long. I won't be shaken by drought or storm. A peace that passes understanding is my song. And I sing, My hope is in you alone. Amen. It is in Jesus. And when our hope is in Jesus, we can look at this and say with the Apostle Paul in verse number 15, or rather verse number uh, 16, who alone Jesus has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. You see, the, the reason why often we struggle with greed so much is because Jesus doesn't look desirable to us. And I pray that God so changes our hearts that when we get that bank account, whether it's good news or bad news, whether you get your investment report or whether you get your paycheck and you say, well, this will, this will help ends meet or this is going to be a praying time more than usual. That's a secondary thing to say, you know what, God, even if I had all of the stuff in the world, it wouldn't be worth it. Like Jesus said, Luke 9, if I lose my very own soul. So Jesus, I thank You that I have You and I want to pursue You. And because You have me, that's ultimate value. And if you take a person who's poor by the world standards, if you take a man who says, God, I tried and I've tried to work. I've got... I've worked with my hands and I've got like armor plated hands. You ever seen those guys? They work so hard with their hands and it's just like, I mean, they can just hold up their hand if there's ever a gun attack and the bullets will bounce off. Other guys, and you, you do computer work, you're like, man, I, my, my eyes are going blind. It seems like I'm stressed and I'm trying to serve and I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm trying to work. At the end of the day, no matter what you bring home, men or women, the fact that one day Jesus will bring you home, that's value. And our culture will tell you that you've got to make this much. You've got to have this to be a success. Listen, men and women, if you communicate to your families, if you pray for them, if you talk to them, if you ask forgiveness, if you tell them you love Jesus, you're a success. They might not even have enough money to bury you, but if you've passed on that Jesus is Lord and He is worthy above all else, and to live your life for Him no matter what job you, you work, 
No matter what degree you have, if you communicate that Jesus is worth more than everything put together, you will die a successful man and a successful woman. Cars that you buy the kids, those will rust out. The one thing that your kids will never forget is the fact that dad opened up the Bible. He didn't maybe know how to read it too well or explain the big words and Hophni and Phineas and who were they. But he communicated and he prayed for me. And I know that my dad loved Jesus. And I know that he cared enough about my soul to talk to me about Jesus. May God break our hearts when our hearts become pulled away by things. You say, well, how much money do you have to have to be greedy? Zero. Doesn't take anything. It's the human heart, mine and yours, that wants to place our faith in things instead of Him. The invitation simply today is if this is something that you have struggled with, Christian, today, come in repentance and say, God, would you forgive me for placing my trust in things instead of you? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're also here and you have never been saved, in fact, today it is, it is money, it is things that have your heart and your affections, but you desire, you know that you have sinned against God, you know that you have warranted His judgment. And if you don't know that, the Bible says very simply that you are evil, that your heart is corrupt, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you need a Savior, and Jesus is the only one. We're going to have what's called an invitation here in just a few moments. We're all going to stand and sing, and we're going to give those who desire to join the church, if you've been saved, those who've been saved who need to be baptized, or if you want to say, you know what, man, God saved me in the service today. It was during Sunday school that I trusted Christ. It was, it was this past week that I realized that I needed God in my life. In fact, these uh, two weeks ago, God just spoke to me. We're going to ask you to do something um, public here today. Maybe a little bit awkward for you, but give you a chance to stand up for Christ. When we begin to sing, we're just going to stand up, and I'm going to stand down here in the center. We're going to give you a chance. If you've got any commitment, if you want to join the church, if you want to let people know that you've been saved, if you want to be baptized, if you simply need to come and pray for a lost friend or a family member, co-worker, we're going to ask you to get up out of your seat and just come forward. And I'll take you by the hand. By walking forward, you're not saving yourself. It's not holy ground necessarily. There's nothing magic about this. But you're just saying, God, I'm going to show physically what you've done inside my heart. I'm going to stand up and be counted. Let people know that I want to join up. Father, we ask that you would take this invitation and use it to your glory. That you would continue through this invitation, through the rest of the day, through the rest of our lives, through the rest of this Christmas season to impress upon our hearts, to change our hearts, that money cannot bring fulfillment, but only you can bring fulfillment. In Jesus' name, amen.